Well, good morning. It's good to be here. Um, I don't know you very well. Some of you look familiar. Some of you I have names for, and most of you I don't. But it's good to be here. And I've been inspired to be here and challenged already to uh, be a part of your service this morning. Yes, my name is Harvey Reif. My wife, Arlene, and my our youngest daughter, Shalom, is with us today. So... It's our pleasure to be in your midst, and means I don't know you very well here, and I don't really know your needs. So the subject this morning I want to talk about is maintaining true freedom. I believe it's a general subject that the heart of man, woman, uh, young person, older person is yearning for uh, throughout our life. And for a scripture this morning, if you have your Bibles, I don't know, is this thing put on right? I never wore an earpiece like this. It makes me a little jittery and nervous, I guess. Uh, I just get the feeling that it's falling off or not in place or something. But Romans chapter 7 and part of verse 8 is, I mean, part of chapter 8 in Romans is where I spend most time here in, in looking at Scripture this morning. So if you have your Bibles I'd invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 7. I'm going to break right into the middle of a of sort of a lengthy subject that the Apostle Paul has here. Um, Beginning to read in verse 14 of chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. To will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then we... So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, 
but after the Spirit. We could continue to read there, but I think for now I'll stop there. I don't know what goes through your mind when you read these scriptures. Um, You know, there's different things we can take from this, and I've heard it defined in different ways. Some people would believe that Paul is talking about an unconverted person, one that knows not about Jesus Christ and uh, never came into the power of the Holy Spirit and so on. He's, he's a carnal, unconverted person in Romans ch- uh, 7 here, where the battle is going on uh, there, just ending up doing all the bad things and yet desiring uh, the right things. <clears throat> You know, I don't, when I can read it that way, and at the same kind of time, I can also read it as a Christian that's sort of backslidden. Because this person has within himself a will to do good. You notice that? He has a good understanding of this law, the moral law, the law of God that is good and right. He does seem to have an understanding of that. So, I'm going to assume this morning this person that Paul is describing here, uh, somehow had an experience with the righteousness of God in his life. And somehow he's turning back to, uh, you know, Galatians, I think it is, Paul, that says, Who hath bewitched you? That you one day experienced all of these good things about God, and you're falling away. And you don't even really realize it. So this morning, I am talking to Christians. I just assume that most of you this morning understand what it is to be delivered, to be free from sin and experience that beautiful peace and freedom that we want to talk about this morning. You know, the, the, when, when I, you notice the language that Paul uses here, it's in... Uh, one of these verses, he mentions the word captivity. And he needs deliverance. Those are powerful words, aren't they? When you think of captivity, what comes to your mind? You know, one thing that comes to my mind, years ago, when they built the first new Kmart in our area in Shippensburg, and it wasn't long after those doors opened, that one day about mid-morning, there was a gunman that showed up in the store, and you had all these shoppers in there and all the Kmart staff, And I don't remember all the details, but it was a big ruckus in Shippensburg. This gunman showed up and he somehow protected the doors. I don't know, it was the main front door. And he said nobody was going to pass through these doors without getting killed. And he stood there with loaded ammunition. He held captive, hostage, all those workers and all the shoppers for most of the day. Can't believe that the authorities were on the outside and they were scared because he threatened them with a gun. They sweet talked him into finally surrender at toward the end of the day. But most of the day, the Kmart shoppers were held captive. I get this sort of from Paul. He's saying, I'm in this trap. Every time I want to do good, I end up doing bad. I need out of this prison. Is there a way out? You know, there's many people living in that just that way today. 
there, there's a man that attending our church for almost a year now. And, and I'll try to make keep this short because some of these stories take a long time. Long story short, he was rejected from childhood. And his dad never showed him love. No one showed him. His story is he never knew love. And in somewhere in his life, he changed his last name to Love. See the desire he had for love? He said, I never knew love. I never experienced love. It's rejection and hate. And in the process of time, he pursued after professional boxing. He had boxing friends all over the world. He said, I had women. Basically, I don't know how many wives he was married to throughout his life. And now, he's 72 years old and his health is failing. And all his women left him. And all his boxing friends left him. And he's all alone up in the mountain in his little hut. And he's lonely and depressed. He wants to end his life. And he claims he doesn't believe in Jesus. He believes in God, but not Jesus. And that's his life today. And the other week, my family and I decided we'd go and visit him on a Saturday evening. I called him. I said, is it okay? Oh, yes, come right up. And we came up the long mountain lane, and he's sitting there at the end of his driveway. Now, this man has Lyme's disease, and he has almost any sickness under the sun. He's had several strokes. He can hardly walk. And he's sitting there on a chair with a mask on, uh, I guess protecting from, I don't know, allergies, bugs, whatever. His first response was, his greeting was, welcome to deliverance. Deliverance? Well, I sort of knew that was a loaded statement because down deep in his heart, there's nothing more that he desires than to be delivered. (laughs) Delivered from the cage that he's in, his body for one, that is failing. Deliverance from the bitterness and the hurt and the rejection all of his life. He wants delivered. I try to point him to Jesus. You know, so many times what people do, and we as Christians are guilty many times to try to manufacture our own freedom. We go about and we try to establish, and in his case, he's thinking suicide. Is that a way out? Well, maybe we're not thinking suicide, but we pursue other things. You know, living the Christian life so many times to us looks like bondage or heaviness. You know why? We have the wrong concept for Christian, true Christianity. We lose sight of what it means to be totally and where true freedom comes from. True freedom is a result. It is a gift from God. We will not manufacture true freedom. It will not happen. The Bible tells us He is our peace. Jesus says this world has a peace to offer, but not what I offer. See that? So true freedom is a gift from God. When I was young at home, we had my dad had a lot of horses. He was a horseman. And we had this one beautiful mare uh, that we raised from baby up. And she turned out to be a beauty. 
And here a man came along and he said, I love that horse. Would that horse be for sale? And my dad finally made a deal. Yes, we'd sell that horse. And knowing this man, we knew that if he would buy this horse, he's going to give, give her nothing but a good home. It was going to be a pleasure horse. She might raise a few foals throughout her lifetime. But she was going to be put out on a lush green pasture behind a beautiful fence. And it was going to be all the freedom that a horse would desire. But you know, the day came, the purchase was made. The day came, we're going to load this horse onto a truck. And back then, we didn't have those nice low aluminum trailers to just step them on. It was a chute going up into a straight truck. And this horse said, no, I'm not going to be caged into that thing. You're taking away my freedom. I mean, walk into that little narrow chute and up into that box. No way. You know, that horse rebelled and fought. And we got all of our brothers, I think, involved, including Dad, maybe the new owner and the truck driver. We, we put ropes, we pushed, we shoved, we coaxed, we sweet-talked. We tried anything. That horse rebelled. I will not go into that truck. And finally, she reared, I mean, way up, looked beautiful. But you know what? She came around and hit her head. And from that day forth, she was brain damaged. The new owner said, no, can't use a horse like that. She went back into our fields, and I don't even remember what happened, but she was never the same. You see, that's what happens when we try to manufacture. That horse didn't see the big picture. If that horse could have only stepped into that box, <laughs> the other end there was a green lush pasture with a beautiful fence. See the picture? The new place was going to be beautiful. You know, so many times we try to manufacture our own ways of freedom. And James says you fight and you steal and you kill and you desire to have and you still don't have it. See that? It's our own manufacturing. And I want to get that point clear to my heart and yours this morning. That the true freedom that every person is looking for this morning is a gift from God. It's a result of a heart that is loyal to God. Okay, you see that? He has a beautiful pastor waiting for us, so to speak. <clears throat> when we try to establish our own ideas about freedom, we, we, we begin to unharness. We take away guidelines out of our life, thinking that somehow, if I wouldn't have to do this, if I wouldn't have to, sisters, wear this old big white heavy thing on my head. If I wouldn't have to wear this big old heavy modest dress. You see that? Oh, if I could just unharness and undo and just take away some of those things, I would begin to enjoy some of the freedom that the rest of the world has. Oh, they look so happy, don't they? They put on a big smile. And you think, 
It finally looks like they're enjoying what I'm looking for. Men the same way. <laughs> you know, we begin to take away and we, we violate Bible principles to try to manufacture what we think is freedom. When we forget that true freedom is a gift from God as we become loyal to Him. You know, the Bible tells us that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the whole earth to show Himself strong to them that are of a loyal heart. Young men, you enjoy power. What about a diesel truck with a smokestack coming out the back of the cab? Do you enjoy that? I mean, they're loud and they're smoke puffing. What about fireworks? You know, drive to Virginia on 81. There's so many fireworks stores. I say that must be a booming economy. Just a big building designated to fireworks. Do you know why? People love explosions. People just are that way. But you know, the Bible tells us that we're going to unleash the powers of heaven by doing what? Giving God a good heart. And we owe Him a loyal heart, don't we? And He's going to replace it. He's going to put in our life true freedom. He really will. And the world's going to start opening their eyes and say, What do those people have? Oh, I know they have a big old white thing on their head. And a big old heavy dress that must be hot in the summer. But they have something that radiates. That I want. What is it? It's true freedom. You're free from the bondage of sin in the world. Oh, you read through the magazines and this hairstyle changes. And this dress pattern or undress pattern, whatever it may be, continually. That's bondage. It's bondage. It's manufactured by man. It doesn't work. (laughs) There's more suicides today than probably ever before. Why? People are not getting a hold of true freedom. Paul continues the subject. And he, he describes the law in several different ways. There's the law, the moral law, that is good and right. That he has with him. He said, I love that. I want to live that. I want to keep a hold of that. But I just don't have it in me. Why? Because there's another law. He calls it the law of sin and death. And there's a third law that he describes here. As the law of the spirit of life. How opposite of the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What's the end result, he says in chapter 8? Freedom has set me free from the law of sin and death. Oh, that freedom, that true freedom. He's, He's pointing us to Jesus. I have a few quotes here I'd like to read. On freedom. Number one. Freedom standing by itself. Inevitably. Degenerates into license. License. Which is unbridled freedom. Quickly. Becomes the enemy. Of freedom. 
Another one. A man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do as he likes. Do you think that's true? Is it true with our children? When they get their own way, does it take them to freedom? Another quote, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And I believe that is woven in Scripture. If we can keep that in, in the forefront, is to keep our relationship maintained with our master. That end result is true freedom. What are some of the steps towards true freedom? Maybe, maybe some of you have lived a Christian life for a number of years. And you've experienced true freedom at one point. But as time goes on, you begin to get entangled again, as Paul describes at another place, with the affairs of this life. And slowly but surely... And many times, maybe we don't realize it, but we're losing slowly but surely that beautiful life of freedom. Paul says it this way, O wretched man that I am, who? You notice he doesn't say, what shall deliver me? He says, who? He's talking about a person. He doesn't say what. Now, if I say this, if I if I pursue after this thing or that thing or that particular church group or that particular uh, pleasure or whatever it is in life. He, he knows this person knows there's a who out there. That who is Jesus, is it not? Who shall deliver me? You know, when I was in my teen years, I had a friend that at one time went on a pursuit, on a journey, what I'm going to call freedom. One thing led to the next. Anyway, along the line somewhere, he got addicted to smoking cigarettes. And this opened my eyes to, to some things as a young person. And I spent the night with him one weekend at the place where he worked at his, uh, I think he worked as a hired hand at that point. And he had decided earlier that week or whenever it was, some somewhere in that time, he had decided he's just going to quit smoking cigarettes. He, he just, for for whatever reason, he's just going to quit. And you know that thing had a hold of him so deeply he told me he, he woke up, he couldn't sleep. I mean, this, his body was just craving for this nicotine. And he woke up one night so desperate for a cigarette. Now, this is going to gross you out. But he said, I went to the ashtrays, to the trash cans, and I was looking for little stubby cigarettes, butts, to finish off. That's how desperately he needed a cigarette. And I'm thinking there, what a bondage. You know, Paul got done telling us, I think it's in chapter 6 of Romans, that we become servants <laughs> to unrighteousness. 
We, we become a servant. Now, does that look to you like true freedom? When you can't sleep because you need to go and raid the trash can and the, the ashtrays for a cigarette. That's one aspect of it. <clears throat> People turn to almost anything to somehow find what they think is freedom. We'll bring this a little closer home. <clears throat> and this one, I think, I have several points I want to make, and there are many we could make. But I think, I thought of several especially that I think can come pretty close home to our circles. First one I think about is relationships. Do you know relationships are really important? I think we forget that sometimes as Christians, as church people. As husbands and wives, as parents and children, those we work with. You know, those are really the challenges. Those are the people that God put in our life. And when it says, love the brotherhood, or when it says, when Jesus says, if your brother sin against you, rebuke him, if he repent, forgive him. That doesn't mean the person out in Oregon that you don't really know. It means the person that lives next to you or you go to church with and sit be beside every, every Sunday morning. Those are the people that we interact with, isn't it? What about relationships? A, a thing just came to me this week, last week, I believe, that, that really troubled me. Back soon after we were married, my wife and I had a couple that were distantly related to my wife. Actually, they had just become born again. And they had a glorious testimony for Jesus. Well, years went by. We lived several hours away. And we sort of lost contact. And the other Sunday, I met uh, one of their nieces. And I asked her, so what about uh, so-and-so? And after all, if they have children, they'd be your first cousin. And she said, if I would meet them, I'm not sure if I would know them. I'm like, what? But you live in the same county. Don't, did they move out of state? No, no, they still live close. This troubled me. Uh, they dug around a little. Well, you see, he had, he had uh, some issue with his dad through a business deal that fell apart. And their relationship fell apart. And he will not come to family gatherings. Therefore, he's depriving his children from the cousins, from the uncles, from the aunts for 20 years. And they don't know each other over a broken relationship. That troubled me. I'm wondering what happened with that beautiful, glorious experience of freedom I heard 20 years ago. It turned back into bondage, folks. That's not true freedom. If we have people in our life that tick us off and we treat them with a cold shoulder and we don't talk about it, you know what? Jesus tells us that our forgiveness rests upon how we're going to forgive our fellow man. The, the story he gives of that person that uh, forgave a great debt... <laughs> 
was forgiven a great debt. I have that backwards. The one that was forgiven the great debt. Remember the story how he went and he uh, he reversed that. Now, he had this little chintzy debt owed to him. And he took the man by the throat, I think it says. Well, what happened? It was reversed. And Jesus said, as you forgive your fellow man, if you forgive not in your heart, you know what? Jesus' true peace and freedom is taken away from us. Isn't that sad? How many Christians do you think are living that way today? And this comes really close home. A, A little experience I had personally, one of them. This isn't a man from our church, but it's in our community. A number of years ago, he just offended me. He told me some things that were very offensive and hurtful. And I felt intimidated and it it, it just got my goat, as we say. And I found over the years, I mean, we weren't really close. We didn't talk. We weren't forced to talk or meet or interact. But I still see him go the road. I tried to wave and put on a good smile for him. But I knew down in my heart, that hurt. That was offensive. You know, he offended me. And that old thing just wanted to come up every time I saw him drive the road. Even though I'd wave and smile, I still felt it in here. And you know, just less than a year ago, I one day, well, it was just several months ago, thought, you know, Is this robbing me? Is this cribbling me just from the true freedom that God wants his children to live in? And you know, a scripture came to my mind that is all so simple. Jesus has the answer for your problem right in his word. He says, bless them that curse you. And now this man didn't curse me. It wasn't that close to cursing even. But do good to them and pray for them. And I made a little vow in my heart that day, that morning. I'm going to pray for this man every day for the next three days. I'm just going to pray for him. Every time his, every time I see him or think about him, I'm going to pray for him. Just a little prayer. Those are the instructions that Jesus gives. You know, I did that. And you know, the most amazing thing happened. The third day. That man called me like, why does he call me? I mean, we don't have interaction, really. And he asked me to do a favor for him. Oh, this is really good. Jesus says the next thing is do good to them. I had the opportunity put right on my lap. There was an old law that was wanting to rise up and say, um, I don't think this time after I'm a really busy today. I thought over this, I said, you know what? Yes. You know what Jesus did with that feeling? Pray for them, do good to them. God will take care of the rest. He really will. And that little old feeling, I can't say it went away completely, but almost. I feel different about the person when I see him. He didn't do anything different, did he? But I did. I went to God's word and said, you know, you have a remedy to every problem. And folks, this morning I have a burden for our churches. 
there are, are relationship problems in too many churches of our people. And I'm going to put out a plea if there's anyone in your life that you just can't release. It's not going to work. The world's going to look in and say, you know, those people are just like we are. They try to manufacture. They try to fight and steal and kill and destroy. And they still have not. Let's take the method of Jesus. When your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. I don't, I think too many times we wait till they repent. But other instruction is to forgive them, whether they repent or not. But oh, let's have a generous and a big heart. It's the way to maintaining true freedom. Another one is, what about our possessions? And this is not just for men. I think it's over here as well as anywhere. Just the things that we possess in life that we call ours. There again, it can be a problem in our plain churches. Are we known as a people that count every dollar and money means so much to us that we love good deals? It's okay to desire to have a good deal. We all have that in us when we make a purchase. I want a good deal. Hey, we go around, we brag to our friends, you know, I bought that thing at a yard sale for 50 cents and it's worth $70. I got a good deal and I walk away feeling good about myself. Same over here. We just do that. We think so many times that way. You know, Jesus used the story of a man named Zacchaeus. You know the story well, I'm sure. Zacchaeus, we don't have a lot of information about his life. But Jesus gives us a few things. He says he was rich. He was the chief of the publicans. And the Pharisees described him as a sinner. And I don't know if there was that was just their view of him. Maybe they knew him better that Jesus describes him. But he was the chief of the, of the publicans. So we sort of take that he was the chief of the tax collectors and they had the name for being dishonest. And, but this part about Zacchaeus always stands out to me. And I, I'm going to assume that down in the heart of Zacchaeus, Now, he was little in stature. That's another thing that the Bible brings out. But I believe there was the point I want to find, the thing we want to find in his heart was there was a desperation for something that he didn't have. So he had money. He had. He was in authority. He I don't know what else all he had going for him. But there was a yearning down deep in his heart for something that he didn't have. And the reason I can say that is because the Bible, Jesus, tells us that he ran ahead of Jesus into the tree. And you know, when we run, men, <laughs> there's something driving us. We mean business. We want to go places. And we have purpose behind it. So that tells me 
and Zacchaeus, there was an emptiness that he was desiring to fulfill. And I believe that was true freedom. I believe he saw that his possession, his money, his dishonesty, his good deals, his sly business deals wasn't doing it. And he needed something different. Well, you know the story how Jesus saw him. Oh, little short in statue. Maybe we could say Jesus could have just kept walking and ignored him. But he saw him. Oh, the compassion heart of our Jesus. He sees you whether you're little or big. Whether you have little or much. He sees you. And he wants to visit us in our house. He just doesn't want to meet us in a crowd, but he wants to be personal with us. And come right into our house and sit down and have tea and coffee with us, if you please. And I don't know what went on in that meeting. Oh, I wish I could have been there just to see what all happened. But something completely changed in the heart of Zacchaeus when it came to his view and concept of finances. What happened? What was the discussion? Did Jesus condemn him and say, you God better repent? I don't know. But they had a wonderful time, apparently, because Jesus says that Zacchaeus rolls up. Were they sitting? He rose up. Oh, I think that day Zacchaeus found true freedom. You know, finances took a whole different meaning. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give half, <laughs> one half of my goods to the poor. <laughs> What's he going to do with the rest of it? If. <laughs> you would not like that word. You ever hear a person repenting and says, if I have wronged you. So I don't know, was he being completely honest? I believe he knew that there were some people that he sort of took across. I'm not just going to go make it right. <laughs> oh, we could settle for that. Okay, I took a hundred dollars and I should have taken fifty. So I owe the man fifty. So I go and give him his fifty. No, 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 no. Now he didn't become reckless and I'm not suggesting we be reckless. But the restoring of fourfold was more than just the interest. It was in and above that. You know, he, he somehow got a hold of a generous heart. And we get a hold of that. You know, I, I mess around in business a little bit and, you know, I'm grieved sometimes. And other times I'm blessed and I say, I want to be like that person. Years ago, I wrapped a row of hay bales for a guy. And I charge by the bail, and they all know that. Somehow we miscounted. I miscounted. And I charged the man for one bail extra, which was at that time probably $4.75. And he gave me a call, said, you overcharged me. You counted, you put one bail on that was not there. Good and right, I thanked him for it. But, you know, he was sort of that kind of a person. But being I'm the kind of person I am, I put some tests on particular people. And I said, okay, we're going to just miscount and I'm going to give you two or three extra bails. And there's very rarely that a person will call me 
and said, you wrap three more bales than you charged me for. Okay. There are others that do. They will say, you miscounted and you, you cheated yourself and I'm going to put the extra on the bill. I had a tractor customer in the last two years or so. We sell a few farm tractors there, fix them up, restore them. And I had several men, and they were Mennonite men. This is putting out a good word for the plain people. They came in there, and they looked at the tractor, said, you know what? This is a tractor we're looking for, and it's in good shape, and we just feel it's underpriced, and we're going to give you just a little more than the asking price. I went away. I said, that never happened to me, but thank you. Okay? We love to get good deals. But if we're going to get good deals on the expense of another person, whoa. When you go to the grocery store, when you go to the restaurant, do the waiter stand back and say, as I heard somebody say, now listen, they were talking together. Plain people came in and they said, see, I told you. There was something being read in, but it was taken that they were saying the plain people are not generous with their tips. Jesus was generous. <laughs> he is generous. Freely you have received, freely give. And I'm not suggesting we just be reckless. But let's be known as a people that are generous. And if we're going to... Let, let, let's, let's... Okay. It's okay to get a good deal. But let's be quick to give another person a good deal as well. That's what I'm, that's the point I'm making. And I think Zacchaeus experienced that so many times. We think, okay, if I give them too many good deals, I'm going to be needing. In the end, I'm going to become a beggar. Jesus didn't tell us to go all become broke and go be beggars. No. But he did tell us that if we're generous in our forgiving and giving, he said, it shall be, you shall be filled Pressed down and given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over, overflowing. Is that just in forgiveness? Is it just in a generous attitude? Or does that play itself out in real life? I believe it does. God is, if, if we take God's word at face value, He's gonna make sure. I thought of that. Yesterday we had a church picnic. My wife and I were in charge of cleanup. There was a garbage bag there, two of them, that I was wanting to take to the dumpster, but I was wanting to make sure they're full before I make the trip. And there's more people coming and children coming with trays and cups. And I said, well, this thing's full. And I pressed it down, pressed it down. It's amazing how much you can get in a garbage bag of styrofoam cups and platters and, and, and you name it if you keep pressing it down. And you know, the next thing I know, it is full. <laughs> and it then was starting to overflow. And I thought of an example of what Jesus told us. That is how He will make sure we're not going to get the short end of the stick if we follow His heart and His program. He will take care of His people in His time, in His way. You know, another big burden on my heart for our churches and our people in the time we live in 
And this might apply over here more, but it doesn't just apply here. But is moral purity. Oh, my. Man, we sing the song sometimes. God, give us faithful men. The story just came out recently of a, of a man that was living a double life. He was a Sunday school teacher in an Anabaptist church. He was looked up to and respected by the church. I don't know, was he found out, did he confess it? But he was unfaithful to his wife. And she didn't know anything about it. It put her on an emotional, mental half breakdown. She had to move back with her parents with her children for a while to take a break to accept the fact. That's one case. There, there are many cases of immorality right in our, in our people in various ways. Folks, it brings us into bondage. It does. It will steal away that beautiful peace. Oh, especially the time we're living in with just all the technology and the availability on, on your phones or whatever. This thing has limited. But if you have one that's fully accessed to all the immorality out there, oh Lord, help us. Deliver us. Maintain the beautiful life and peace and true freedom that He wants to give to us. Just a... A few verses from Proverbs on that subject. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26, talking about immorality. It says, Lost not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by the means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, an adulteress, and an adulteress, will hunt for the precious life. You see that? The hunt is not for the physical life. It's for the precious life. And that means that precious, that beautiful life that we have experienced when we first met God. Men, sisters... Men, I think every one of us, young and old, at one time or the other in our life, we're exposed to pornography. When I was young, these devices and the uh, availability was different. It was the Playboy magazines along the road gutters and in the junk holes and in the woods. You just stumbled across them. And I'm going to say I don't think I ever pursued them, but they had their way of finding them And I dabbled around with it as a teenager too much. And you know, one day I realized that this was going to be either my God or this. It's not both. And I get weary of men today too many times saying, oh, it's just my weakness. And after all, it's it's a problem I have. Life is too short. Eternity is too long to sell out cheap. But my experience was one day... I made this commitment before God that I'm done with that stuff. Whether the opportunity lends itself or not, I want you involved in this. I want you to be my accountability partner. 
You know, about it was not long after I made that deep commitment with God and he gave me peace with it. I was out in the field plowing. Now, get this. I mean, you can't get closer to God than out in a field plowing with horses. You follow me? The birds are singing. There's peace in the air and everything's pure and right and holy. It feels like. A little back road in the end of the field, somehow a car must have driven by and, pl- uh, and throwed a Playboy magazine right on the road where I'm going to turn around. And nobody is there to watch me. I mean, this is back in the back roads and the boonies and it's all me by myself and my God. <laughs> and the thing is laying there exposed and I knew what it was. It was very obvious by what it was showing. You know, there was a real warfare. (laughs) There was a real battle that are real, men. (laughs) These battles are real. Anyone identify with this stuff? Or am I the only weird one? I had to wrestle and battle, but you know what? There was a victory won there with God. (laughs) Paul just told us, That if we really want to be delivered from this bondage he was in, the law of sin and death, there's one way out. Now, we have modern counselors today. The one man told me he was in bondage and addiction to porn and and unfaithfulness to his wife. That he went through a program, they put a rubber band on his wrist. And every time he's tempted to lust, he's supposed to take a hold of the band and let it snap. Pain. Don't do it. You know, that didn't work. He continued his journey. There were, again, manufacturing. (laughs) There's times we need pain. (laughs) And we need to bring self-denial and so on. But the true way out, he gives it. There is no condemnation. We can maintain true freedom. Those that walk in the Spirit with God. And I'm telling you, you're going to be pressed really hard to sit down and look at pornography with Jesus beside you. You're going to have to do something with him. Because he's going to say, either I leave or she leaves. Remember, it's not about the whorish woman and you. It's about Satan using her as an avenue To steal the precious life. See, that's what it's about. Satan knows that if he can get you no other way, he's going to use her. Not in a physical way to bring death, but Proverbs continues and says, Many strong men have been slain. That doesn't necessarily mean physically slain, but spiritually. That's scary, isn't it? I mean, here we have strong men, spiritually established. They've been slain by her. That's why my burden is here, because, folks, we're strong men this morning, aren't we? My wife ran across a quote recently, and I can't say it right, but the idea was that men are strong in every other way. We're muscle men. We lift weights, we run, we wrestle, we arm wrestle, we're macho. 
But when it comes to morals, they're weak. Friends, folks, let's continue to have Jesus right on our side. (laughs) He says that walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Those will maintain true freedom. And sisters, and this really irritates me. And I say again, I say, these things that come through the mail, you say that's mild. You have it on your phone or internet or whatever. But what about just the innocent thing as a mailbox and, and all the target advertisements or Walmart of uh, half-naked women models showing and advertising underwear? Like, come on. I mean, that's a form of do your men a favor, ladies, and rip it up into fine pieces and put it in the trash. God destroys things he hates, and it's okay if we do it. Protect your men where you can. We know we can't be jealous enough of purity and good, solid marriages and homes and churches. And it starts right here in some of these places as to how we're going to maintain and lift up a beautiful kingdom picture for the world to see, to be attracted to. Oh, the bondage that Satan is so, or the freedom that Satan is so jealous of. He'll try us in so many ways, but the good news is, if we maintain our walk with our Jesus, we're going to be safe. What a promise. To them that walk after the Spirit, simply obedience to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God. When we come into temptation, I think I can give this promise. He will never leave us. He will never leave us. He will make a way. And I told you of my experience, and I'm not going to say that was the end of my struggle. I wish I could say, but it's not, it's just not that way. But I'm telling you, there was a victory won there to that day that I hold precious. Because I know my God was fighting for me. And the Bible says that every, every victory we win, it has this idea that there's, there's more grace for the next one. So when we start losing these battles and we go down into this pit, then we need bigger help yet, don't we? People are bound today. Too many folks are bound by this sin. And it robs and destroys our true freedom. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. You know why? Continues there. It's because Noah followed the details. God told Noah to build the ark. And he went into detail how it was to be built. And Noah followed it. And you know grace followed. See that? True freedom is a gift from God as a result of us following God's program. Many examples in Scripture we could use. I thought of the one in Acts where uh, where Paul and his friends were out in, in sea and there was the storm that came up 
And they were all fearful. And it did seem that Paul had even given up hope that any should survive this storm. And then that angel of God came to him and spoke to him and said, There's no one going to lose their life, but the ship is going to be destroyed. But you know, that was... That salvation was conditional because if you were one of those soldiers or seamen and you were told by an angel of God, there was no one going to save, lose their life, but the ship's going to be destroyed. Our first impulse would be to get out of the ship because that's going to be destroyed. We just had a word from God. So it wouldn't make sense to stay in the ship. But Paul told them, if you leave the ship, you're going to lose your life. So my point in that is, whether it makes sense or not, we, we, see, we want to, we're people of reason. We, we, we want to reason everything out. It's okay to say, I don't know. But that's what God said. It's okay to go through life like that. Now, there are some basics we should understand. But the blind man in, in, in the Gospel of John that was born blind, he wanted to see. And Jesus came on the scene and said, okay. He went, did he spit in the sand or how was that? And he made mud and put it on his eyes and said, now go wash in Siloam. Well, that pool wasn't a clean one. Did that make sense? It, it doesn't to me. Why didn't Jesus just breathe on his eyelids and say, you're healed? But he did. He went into work and put the sand and wash and he came back seeing. And the Pharisees challenged that. You know the story? But finally, the answer that he gave, I love. He says, I don't know. He says, all I know was a man. His name was Jesus. There was another thing he knew. He was blind, but now he sees Folks, sometimes we just have to rest it in God's word and say, I don't know for sure. But this I know, that if I follow his word, he's going to take care of the rest. And I want that rest, whatever that is. Like that horse that didn't know the other side of the truck what was waiting for him. So the challenge I want to leave with us, let's be faithful. We follow the Spirit of God. We surrender under His Lordship. We have Jesus on our side. We will never go wrong. It will always lead us toward life. It will never lead us toward death and destruction. Never. Those are promises. He will never lead us astray. Never. He will always be safe and put us on the safe route. It will always lead us unto truth. It will always unite the brotherhood. Above all, it will set us free from the law of sin and death and put us on the journey, that beautiful journey, the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus. God bless you with that.